Good morning. Happy Sunday. Welcome to LifePoint Westerville. Excited uh, for you guys to hear um, a message from a, a special guest. But I, I want to make you aware of just a couple things. If you're a first-time guest, we would love to know how you got in, in touch with us, and we would love to just uh, connect with you. And so a great way to do that is if you take out your phone and then you, you know, open up your camera, there should be a QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. And you can take that, your phone, wave it over that, and that will take you to lpguest.com. And then you can find ways to get connected to our church. You can find live interactive notes that you can use for the message today. And then just for coming today, uh, we will make a donation to a local ministry that you choose just for saying thank you so much for coming. So uh, check that out. I encourage you to do that during the service. Uh, you have joined us in the WOW series. And so WOW stands for Wide Open World. And we are so thankful that God has opened the world wide open for us to be a part of his activity um, all over the world and even locally in our nation, which you'll get to hear about. So God is just doing some really great things. And at the end, I'll tell you, you know, about our offering. But one of the, the things that we have the great opportunity to do today is God has blessed us through members just like you to support uh, and be a part of God's activity in the nations. And so we partner with Steel City Church in Pittsburgh, and they are here today. Chris is here today uh, to give us the message. So Chris, why don't you come up here? Man, I'm super excited about God using you. And uh, man, Thank give Chris a hand. Uh, he is going to share the message today. And super. Well, good morning. Thank you. I guess afternoon now, right? Um, Mark, for for that. Yeah, my name is Chris Richards, pastor of Steel City Church. You can probably tell I'm not from Pittsburgh. Got a little bit of a southern accent that you'll hear come out as I get going. Um, I'm originally from Columbia, South Carolina. Moved out to Pittsburgh about three years ago now to help with the, the process of starting a church in the Greenfield neighborhood of Pittsburgh. And so I've got some pictures that are going to show up. Um, just some cool things that we've got going on at Pittsburgh that we wouldn't have going on if it wasn't for the support um, from churches just like uh, LifePoint here. But up in the top left corner is Michael Yang. Michael was a professing atheist um, and was, as past tense, is now a professing, um, proclaiming follower of Jesus Christ. And so shortly after this picture was taken, he sent a video to David who is our college ministry director in that picture, uh, with him practicing how to share his faith because he was going home uh, to his family who are um, professing atheists and he wanted to confidently and boldly be able to proclaim uh, the truth of the gospel to his family. Uh, we've got uh, a picture from our men's retreat. I uh, had a great time at our men's retreat just being dumb and learning about Jesus and uh, it was a great time. And then up in the top corner, that's a picture after a big service project that we did with my Connect group um, for an organization in Pittsburgh that serves women who are coming out of human trafficking. Uh, we, of course, did not serve the women directly, but indirectly set the stage for a clothes closet and a mom's closet and f uh, packaging of food and whatnot. So they would, when they come out of the, the human trafficking trade, they would have something to be able to tangibly use as they're trying to put things back together. Um, and then one of my favorite pictures is us sitting by the fire at our um, men's retreat. And one of the guys in that picture is a guy that I've been praying for um, 
praying for a relationship with him for two years. And the Holy Spirit has moved in his heart and in mine. And we are becoming friends. We have kids that are the same age and just super excited about building a relationship with this guy. Um, but in a lot of ways, there's, there's things that are going um, going on in Pittsburgh. And, and this family that you're about to see next is my co-pastor, Zach, and his wife, Leah, and their bundle of joy, Felix. They actually just left to go grab lunch to get you know, early into the buffet line, right? Um, so they are eating with the Duttons, who are actually really good friends of theirs and members um, here at LifePoint. Um, but I get a chance to do ministry every single day with Zach. I lock arms with him. We're co-pastors. And I've said in every service, I'll say it here, and Zach hates it when I say it, but Zach is the beauty and the brains of the operation. Anything good that happens at Steel City Church is typically because it's Zach. Um, I just am really good at like being a strong back and really getting in the way most of the time. Zach does all the, 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 the hard work and good work. And then my family, uh, introduce you to my wife, uh, Rachel. And my two girls, they are down in the kids' ministry because they think that Life Point Westerville Kids' Ministry is the coolest kids' ministry in the whole entire world. And so they were super excited, and they were like, okay, Dad, we'll sit in the first service. But then we're going to the kids' ministry after that. And I was like, that's fine, good. So they're down there. So Tinley is 10, uh, Edie uh, is 8, and I think she's going on like 18 or 21 or something. Uh, but we can talk about that later. But, you know, being a, a girl dad is one of the joys of my life. And one of my favorite, most favorite things that I get to do being a girl dad is I get to scare my kids on a regular basis. And so I'll hide in their closet or under their bed or something and try to scare them. And it just as like a reminder of that I'm your dad and I have power in the house because it's about the only time I have it. Um, and so what you're about to see, kind of frame it, it's just before Halloween a couple years ago. One of the members of our church um, got a gorilla mask. And so he said, uh, hey, I'm going to hide out and you can have the kids come and ding dong ditch us on the way to school like we've done multiple times. And I was like, great, I'll jump out. So here, watch this. So I have, a, I have a freeze frame of this video that I go back to on a regular basis of Edie's face, and it is just absolute horror. And so I'll flip back to that and just laugh and just be reminded of how good of a parent I am. Um, and so if you want to question my parenting style, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm all for it. But, you know, fear is something that we all experience, and it's a very complex emotion. Uh, fear is triggered by some type of perceived threat, whether it's a guy in a gorilla mask or something that's actually normal. Uh, we feel fear, and our bodies go into this fight-or-flight mode. And so this is a survival mechanism that helps us to respond to danger. It's controlled by a part of our brain called the amygdala. The amygdala receives information from our senses and then sends signals to other parts of the brain that release hormones to cause a number of physical changes that then prepare us to either fight or flee or we freeze. You know, the fear response is an incredibly important part of our survival as human beings. However, fear can also be triggered by things that are not actually dangerous. There are times that, that fear can be triggered by maybe a challenge of the status quo, what we've always known. 
So we have this response to a challenge of the status quo. It can also be triggered by maybe a time where we feel incapable or inadequate. Times that fear can be triggered when it challenges us based on our past and past experiences. And so we'll have this this almost subconscious reaction of fear because of something that happened years and years ago that we have to take time to process through. But fear is is an actual emotion. It's a complex thing. You know, this wide open world series that Mark just talked about is is framed around the statement that we say yes because God is faithful. We say yes because God is faithful. And I like a little tagline on the end that I've heard a couple guys use that it's, it's because he is faithful, not because we are able. However, there's a good chance that we have said no to God because of our fear. We're going to see this in our passage of Scripture today, which is Judges 4. They always give the guest preacher Judges 4. It's typically never what happens, but life point's a little different, and I love it. And one thing that we do at Still City Church is we read through the entire passage of Scripture that we're going to do. And when we do that, we stand. So I'm actually going to invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word. So if you're willing and able, I'd love for you to do that. We We at Still City posture ourselves in a way that demonstrates how we stand on the rock of God's word. And one thing I love about LifePoint is that I know for a fact that your pastors and your leaders do that as well because they talk to us about that and they love God's word. So let us read God's word together. It's Judges 4. We're gonna read through verses 16 and skip a few along the way. It'll be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along. For this is the word of the Lord. Judges 4, verse 1. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Haggayim. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm tree, which was known now as the tree of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, well, Deborah, if you will go with me, then, then I will go. But if you don't go with me, Deborah, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up with him, and Deborah also went with him. Skip down to verse 13. So Sarah called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Haggaiim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. 
So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Haggaiim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. For the grass weathers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So going through this passage, there's four points that kind of pop out. The first one to consider as we see the first three verses here in Judges 4 is brokenness is evident and it's unavoidable. The, the story is framed around the fact that the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again did evil in the sight of the Lord. The phrase that we like to use as pastors is God goes where he's wanted and willingly gives us what we ask for. And we see here that the sons of Israel had been asking for their own way and their own processes and their own things and not the things of God. And he was like, you know what? Here it is. And so the Lord sold them in and over to the hand of Jabin, the king of of Canaan. So they got what they wanted. Their sin causes them to cry out often as they're under oppression. They found themselves under this Canaanite king named Jabin, whose chief military officer we heard multiple times throughout this this reading, Sisera was ruthless. If we look into chapter five, which is actually a poetic version of this chapter four story, we see how Sisera was ruthlessly oppressive towards the Israelite people and cutting off their trade routes, not letting them go anywhere, just, just was a pain to them constantly. And he was also powerful. You heard over and over and over again, 900 iron chariots, 900 iron chariots. And anytime you hear repetition in a small part of scripture, that is a, an author, a biblical author, trying to draw your attention to something. I want you to listen to repetition, 900 iron chariots. And so here we see that this brokenness that the Israelite people were under was was unavoidable. It was evident and it was unavoidable. It was all around. But we don't stop there. We keep going into... Through, through chapter four, and we get into verses four through seven, and, and here, Deborah is here. Deborah is a judge. She's also a prophetess. So she's, the prophetess was to hear the word of the Lord and to express it to the people, to share the truths that God wanted his people to hear. And so people would come from all around, all Israelite people would come to her to receive a judgment. She would help govern the land at this time, this broken, this broken land at this time. And so if God's gonna give a command, he's gonna give it through Deborah because Deborah Deborah was the prophetess. Well, Deborah being the judge, she's like the head. I think about my marriage. My wife, as you saw, is, is beautiful, but she's just as brilliant as she is beautiful. The fact that she married me is something we'll pray about later. But it's just incredible. I'm, she's really good at coming up with things and like planning out stuff. And I'm really good at like cutting the grass and fixing things. And so she thinks it up and I do it. So she's the brains and the beauty and I'm just kind of the strong back and just do what I need to do because I guess I'm good at that stuff. And that's the relationship here that Deborah and Barak had. Deborah was the prophetess receiving the command from the Lord. And who does she call but the chief of staff, Barak? I know he can accomplish this. 
And so she gives Barak the command that came straight from the Lord as we see in verses four through seven. And, and one thing we have to understand is that when God gives a command that is clear, it's as good as done. And so we have to understand that this was a clear command. It was specific. Where, who, how many, what, where. Where am I supposed to go? The top of Mount Tabor. Who am I bringing with me? The the tribal men from Naphtali and Zebulon. How many? 10,000. Now, one thing we have to understand here is these Israelite people have been under oppressive rule for 20 years. And whenever you get under an oppressive rule, what's one of the first things they're going to do, but take any type of power away that you have. And so the King Jabin removed any type of weapon that the Israelite army would have access to. And he's, God's commanding Barak to go get Naphtali and Zebulun, two like far out tribes. This is like calling the country folk in with pitchforks. That's who I want. Don't go to the army base. Go to Naphtali and Zebulun. Get those boys. Brock like, I'm good. I don't know about this. This ain't looking too good for me. They didn't have weapons. They weren't prepared. They weren't trained. There's a problem. And then what's gonna happen? But Sisera will be given, Sisera's army, his 900 chariots will be given over into your hand. When the command is clear, it's good as done. I love what John Piper says. He actually says, when God gives us a command... It's his way of showing us how he wants to serve us. Here, God is giving a command to Deborah, to Barak, to serve the Israelite people. Something's coming. Something crazy is about to happen. So now we move into verses 8 through 10. We see the truth that fear and faith can coexist the command is given to Barak, and what does Barak say to Deborah? But he says, uh-uh, I can just hear the tone of his voice. Oh, man, you talking about Naphtali and Zebulon? Like, you couldn't have given me Judah or something? Like, a powerful tribe? He's like, all right. And I can hear, like, the, the, the stutter and the crack in his voice. If, if you'll go with me, Deborah, in verse 8, then, then, then I will go. And if you're not going to go with me, I'm not going. This is the chief of staff of Israel, God's chosen people, and he is scared to death. And I love what Deborah says in verse nine. She says, I will surely go with you. And being a dad of two girls, this verse fires me up even more. And she says, nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on this journey. Yes, you are the chief of staff of God's army, but this honor is not gonna be yours. It's gonna be mine. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Let's hear it for the ladies. I love this for my girls. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak. She grabbed him by the hand and said, come on, big boy, let's go. We got this. Faith and fear can coexist. The fear of Barak and the shaking of him in his boots was was overtaken by the faith of Deborah. Now, it's so easy for us to criticize Barak here. The Israelite people, remember, had been under a non-Jewish rule for 20 years. That's the Bible's fancy way of saying half of generation. And so all those reminding stories of God's faithfulness 
that would go through the Israelite camps over and over and over again had been cut off. And here Barak, the only thing he has to look at is himself and the people in front of him and the task at hand. But sadly, are we not kind of like that sometimes? We don't have a full understanding of who God is. We shield ourselves from the beauty of what God is and who he is, but not Deborah. Deborah knew God. Deborah knew that when God commands something, it's as good as done. So what did she say? We just saw it. She said yes. Of course she's gonna say yes because the God that she serves is faithful. He always has been faithful. He always will be faithful. Exodus 34, 6, he is a faithful God. It, it is who he is. It is his character. He says it. It's done. And so she went in her faith in the midst of Barak's fear, moved forward with the plan. I come to the realization that even in the midst of fear sometimes, God can move mountains with a step of faithful obedience. Faith and fear can coexist. And then we see just the beauty of what happens and we realize that when we take a step of obedient faith, faith always invites a decisive victory because look what happens. All seemed lost. Verse 13, so Sarah called all together his chariots, his how many chariots? His 900 chariots, his iron chariots and all his people, just hordes of people, and they go down to the river Kishon, which is right at the bottom of Mount Tabor, which is where the Israelite people are. And the, the, the riverbed for Kishon was always dry, except for when it rained heavy. Sometimes there'd be a little trickle down through the valley where the land, what, what water wasn't soaked up by the, by the dry land would kind of run into the valley. And here he gathers Sisera gathers his army into the riverbed, this dry riverbed that's always dry. What we see, actually, if we look over into the poetic version of the story in chapter 5 in verses 21 and 22, it says, the torrent of Kishon swept them away. Wait, in a dry riverbed? What we see here as Sisera was gathering his troops into the dry riverbed. These storm clouds were starting to form. And finally, in her faith, she says, Deborah says in verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, arise. That's Hebrew for get up, boy. Clean yourself up. Let's go. We got work to do. Get up. Go. And so she, he goes, For the Lord has given Sisera over to your hands. In that time, the storm clouds started to build. And as the, the Israelite army, the, the country folk with pitchforks are charging down the mountain, this water starts coming out of the heavens and fills the Kishon riverbed. And a torrent of water sweeps away 900 chariots, 900 chariots of iron. Barak's charging down the hill and he's watching all this happen. And it says in verse 15, the Lord, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots. Faith always invites a decisive victory, but faith in who? 
It says the Lord, and we gotta know this term here because this is the term that Deborah knew that Barak had forgotten, it's the Lord. This Hebrew term is the term Jehovah. So often when we talk about the Lord, we talk about our personal God, this incredibly powerful personal God, Yahweh, the God that when we sleep at night, we breathe out the name Yahweh, But this goes beyond that. This is Jehovah. This Jehovah. This is self-existing, pre-Genesis 1-1. This is all-powerful God, all-creating God. This is the one that took nothing and made something. This is the one that controls all of creation. This is Jehovah, the Jehovah that Deborah knew so well. And he causes his creation to work for him because faith always invites a decisive victory. Always. And then we see Sisera in all of his power with all of his chariots and all of his troops run like a wet yard dog. And Barak finally gets it. And he takes care of business. Because of the faith of Deborah, overcame the fear of himself, and we see a decisive victory. Great story, amen. 3,000 years old story. Let's just leave it at that, right? No, I'm a preacher, I can't do that. We have to ask ourselves, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? Well, I think it's pretty obvious at times if we look around that brokenness is evident and unavoidable. There's lostness all around you. The enemy, Satan, has chariots upon catapults, upon contraptions, upon distractions, upon whatever, to make sure that those who are close to you, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, your family, those that are close to you remain far from God. He's a master at it. You know, we all have people who are close to us who are longing for fulfillment. They're longing to be fulfilled. They're longing for wholeness. They're just wandering around, it seems like, looking for anything they can to fill the hole that only God can fill. And sadly, they think, man, if I can just get a larger 401k, that that will do it. If I can just get that sweeter vacation destination, that, that will do it. Maybe it's, maybe it's more sex what they're looking for, better relationship, more influence, a better tennis or golf game. I don't know what it is. My kids act right. I, I don't know. All this longing then puts them in this process of just chasing this shiny red ball. Had a dog who I loved. My wife will not let us get another dog, but I loved my dog. My dog would chase the ball retrieve all day long. Water dry, lay, it doesn't matter. It could be pouring down rain. He'd chase it. And he'd chase it all day. As long as I threw it, he'd chase it and chase it and chase it and chase it. And then he'd come inside, not looking like he's missed a beat, and he would collapse on the ground. Isn't that what we're around all the time? People who are constantly in the chase. They're just chasing the shiny red ball of the 401k across. They grab it. Ah, that wasn't good enough. And another one fires across the yard. Let me go chase that. Ah, man, that's not good enough. Here comes another one. 
You know, with that in mind, we have to see Romans 10, 14 through 15. It says, Paul cries out, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And, and how can they hear if nobody goes to tell them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? Brokenness is evident and it's unavoidable. It's all around you. Who's going to go tell these people about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus? It's so easy for us to say, put our hands up and say, for me to do this, the command's gotta be clear. I know if the command's clear, it's good as done, but I gotta have a clear command. Well, we have that. Followers of Jesus Christ, we have the command. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's called the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples. It's specific. What are you gonna do? Go make disciples. Where? It says all the nations. Acts 1.8 says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Anywhere. Pick a spot. Blindfold yourself and throw a dart at a map. Go and make disciples. Well, what am I going with? Like, I can't do this by myself, can I? He says you don't have to. He says all my authority. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am Emmanuel. God with you will go with you. All my authority I give to you. Go and make disciples and it is done. And you know right here, bam, boom. Yes, we say yes because God is always faithful. Well, the problem is is we have to have this sermon series because we don't say yes. We say no. What causes us to say no so often is our fear. We say no because of our fear. We won't put our yes on the table because of our fear. And we have to remember, fear, man, it's, it's, it's a natural emotion that we all experience, part of our survival. But at times, that fear response comes to things that aren't Dangerous. Was it dangerous for Parak to go charging down a hill at 900 chariots? Was it dangerous? I guess it depends on what kind of God you serve. God that could control the rain clouds and wipe out a full army. Our fear gets triggered by the, when we challenge the status quo. Our fear gets triggered when we feel incapable. Our fear gets triggered when we look back to our past. So what is it? What is it that, that, that sparks our fear? Four things I want you to consider. Our past, our present, our person, and our processing. Our past. I had a friend of mine who longed to be a pastor when I was in college. And some things that happened in his past were some, you know, there was some sin and there, were, there, was, there was grievous sin, absolutely. And some other issues that he had to deal with. And whenever we talk about moving forward with this, he would just be like, oh man, I can't do it. He would wear his past like a knapsack of shame. And just, oh, I just, there's no way God can use me. And so I started quoting at him, um, at him. I like, you know, like that. Whenever you use the, the Bible to quote at people, it's always a good thing. But Romans 8.1 Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he, my buddy Brandon would be like, oh, man, but my past. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Oh, man, but you don't know what I've done. You just don't know about my past, what I've, what I've been through. What I... 
And finally, I was like, I was fed up with it. I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm gonna change. I'm rewriting scripture. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus except for you, man, except for you. You're excluded. Everybody else gets the no condemnation when they accept Christ Jesus. It's like, Brandon, come on, man, let it go. Why's the fear of your past holding you down for making this faithful step here? And for the record, my man is an incredible, incredible pastor and shepherd to his people. Incredible. So it's our past. It could be our present. Is your present circumstances right now too good for you to put your yes on the table? Oh man, I finally got the job I want. Finally got the promotion I was looking for. Finally got the relationship that my heart has always longed for. This person will fulfill me. Married couples, y'all know. You know what it's like. Man, this person, I finally got them. I finally got my kids in the school that they need to be in. Oh, thank God. Is it your present? Is it just too good right now? You just want to ride this wave. God, no, I'm saying yes to this. Or is it the flip? Is it your past is, or your present is just not good enough and you're like, you know what, I gotta clean this up first. I can't leave this mess like this. I can't leave my family like this. I can't go anywhere with this. I gotta deal with this right now. God, no, I'll tell you yes later, I gotta deal with this. Is it your person? All throughout scripture, God would give a clear command. We know when a clear command comes, it's as good as done. And the first excuse is, but God, do you not realize that I have this problem? Moses, I have a speech impediment. I, I, I can't even speak right. God, you're gonna use me to speak? What is it in you, your person, that triggers that, that fear response? Is it pride? It keeps you saying yes to God. I'll be honest, sometimes I just don't want to change who I am. I just don't want to change. And when we let our past, our present, and our person affect us like this, it really does change our processing. It takes our focus off the God who Deborah knew so well, we make ourselves, we make our God small. I love what J.D. Greer says. He says, we like God small. We like him to be predictable and explainable and safe. But the God of the Bible <laughs> is not small. He's infinite, he's glorious, and he's mysterious. And when we try to make him small, we end up destroying our faith. And if you want a robust, passionate faith, then you need to see God as he really is. When you see him for who he really is, when you see Jehovah for who he really is, your life will never be the same. Now listen, fear is a common problem. It's part of our makeup. It's who we are at times. It's a survival mechanism. Fear is a common problem, but it is not an acceptable excuse for inaction. For when the command is clear, it's good as done. We want the faith that invites this decisive victory. This whole wide open world series is about missions. It's about missions. 
Missions is really cool to say, but I'm gonna let you in on something, and I hope I don't cause too much problem for Pastor Ed and Mark and Dustin and the rest of them, but I'm gonna tell you something. Missions is God's greatest pyramid scheme. Well, that's so in. Missions is a sham, okay? Because when God gives you the clear command and he says, go therefore and make disciples, you can't make disciples unless you're willing to be made a disciple. Cool thing is when God says go, he's already gone before us. So what's the excuse here? And so what is victory in missions? What does that look like? What does that even mean? Well, if you go and make disciples, it might be that that neighbor that you've been praying for, that classmate that you love so much, or that friend, they might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. They might, yeah, that, that, that's a great victory. Another victory is just sometimes just us going out there and actually confidently proclaiming Jesus as Lord. That's a victory in and of itself. But I tell you, I think one of the greatest victories, and this is what makes missions a sham, is that we go somewhere, we finally put our yes on the table to go somewhere. And it might be across the fence to your neighbor, it might be halfway across the world, and we go and build this or fix this or gather this or shape this or serve this or whatever it is. And the only thing that gets shaped is ourselves. That's victory in missions. That's the decisive victory that our God longs for. He longs for you. He longs for your heart. He longs to shape you. And sometimes, most times, he can't do it unless you're willing to go. And there's fear and there's faith. We get it. But what fear is keeping you from saying yes? Is it your past? Is it your present? Is it your person? Is it something about you? Is it just your processing of who God is? I tell you, I am someone who accepted the command to go. I was a 14-year veteran educator. I'll say it in the most unprideful way possible, I was a very, very good elementary school principal in a very tough area in the place that I came from. Loved it. God said, go. And for some crazy reason, I went. And I tell you, in the past three years that I've been in Pittsburgh serving, I think the most impactful things in myself is not the evangelism strategies that I've learned and used. It's not the preaching techniques that I've learned and I've used. I didn't sign up to be a preacher, but here I am. It's not church growth models. It's not welcoming strategy. It's not anything else that I've learned, but rather it's that my heart has been filled with a truth of something that Paris Reedhead, who was a pastor back in the early 1900s, he proclaimed through his sermon, 10 shekels and a shirt, about his time in Africa, his time when he went to these people that were completely lost. Brokenness was evident. And he so badly wanted these people to accept Jesus Christ as Lord, and they wanted to have nothing to do with him. 
And in his anger one night, he cries out to God, oh God, why would you do this? And the truth of what came back to him is what has shaped my heart more than anything. And I'm taking liberties to change this into my context. Instead of screaming out Africa, it's Pittsburgh, but here is what the Holy Spirit, I feel like, has impacted my heart is, I didn't send you to Pittsburgh for the sake of those who were lost. I sent you to Pittsburgh for my sake. I am God. They deserved hell and you do too. But I love them. And I endured the agonies of hell for them. I didn't send you out there. I didn't send you to Pittsburgh for them. I sent you there for me. Do I not deserve the reward of my suffering? Don't I deserve those for whom I died? And that includes you. That includes me. John Piper summarizes it. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we know Jehovah, the maker of heaven and earth. And so in this, I understand that fear and faith can coexist. I'm telling you that most times in my life, fear wins. It wins. I love the rest in what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13. He says, when I am faithless, when fear wins, when I say no to you because I'm scared to death because of my past or my present or whatever else, whatever other excuse I can make up, you're just expecting here for God to also be faithless. But I said earlier, God can't not be faithful. It is who he is. Faithfulness is his character. And so Paul cries out in 2 Timothy, when I am faithless, he always remains faithful. Let our hearts rest in that. There is a clear command for us. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The command is clear. When it's clear, it's good as done. I understand fear. We can mix it with faith. They can coexist. We can still move forward. Because when we take that step of faith, when we actually put our yes on the table, it's a decisive victory. It's not necessarily the outside. It's here that he's looking for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. God that I just, I, I just grapple with and my heart just longs to understand and I get so frustrated and bothered by the way that you work sometimes. But the, the realization that you are always faithful is just too true. It's too much for me to overcome. And so Lord, I pray just for myself that I will just continuously put one foot in front of the other, knowing that once I take that step, you always have ground there for me to to land on, to step on. Lord, I pray for this church body. I pray for these people in here. Lord, I don't know uh, what they're going through or what they're experiencing or what that fear response is, Lord, but I know the command is clear. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What is holding us back? Lord, let us look into our, our hearts the way that you do and identify whatever it is and lay it before you. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us, that you are always faithful. 
We, we praise you, we honor, we glorify you. Lord, let our worship here as we close out be a fragrant offering to you. Let it come from the depths of our soul, not just from a checkbox. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your holy name, amen.